I want to show you the bigger picture and provide you with an understanding of the risks. The real threat is that misinformation about the risk is used as a lever that could lead to a single nuclear weapon being fired. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. This podcast episode covers a very topical concern. Russia is currently embarked on a war in the Ukraine. It's March 2022 and there is much concern globally about the risk of nuclear power plants in the Ukraine coming under fire from Russian forces. Should we as a society be afraid of nuclear reactors in a war zone? As always, if you enjoy my content, please hit like on your podcast app, share it with your friends, send me a comment, come join the discussion at the Facebook group, The Rational View. Or visit my website at www.therationalview.ca. What do you think when you hear the words war and nuclear together? It's a frightening combination to a lot of people. As a child of the Cold War, many of us lived under the shadow of MAD. Mutually Assured Destruction. This was the theory that nobody, none of the the major countries would be dumb enough to start another world war due to the fact that it would lead to total annihilation. And this was the, the justification that governments used to pump out nuclear weapons, thousands of nuclear weapons. The stockpiles were immense, Ten, over 10,000 nuclear weapons worldwide poised to be fired back and forth at any moment to supposedly necessary to maintain the post-World War II peace. And it did work. I'll give it that. But is this what we need as a society to prevent ourselves from being warlike? Is this a sort of civilization-ending threat? What we need? I hope that we can grow beyond this as a society, and it takes education and development to do that. It takes bringing everybody out of poverty and giving us a world of plenty. And this is one of the reasons why I advocate for nuclear power, because this is the really the only technology that we have that can decouple the advance that we need from the environmental destruction of most of the other power sources out there. So thinking back, remember, the U.S. and the USSR, they used to test their atomic bombs in the atmosphere back in the 50s and 60s. They blew them up in the ocean. They blew them up underground. They blew them up in space to see what would happen. Yes, they did blow up a nuclear weapon in space. It was called Starfish. Look it up. It actually created a new Van Allen belt of radiation up there that would probably wipe out satellites today if it were done again. There were on the order of 500 open-air nuclear tests performed by various militaries 
until the anti-nuclear weapon protesters gathered enough momentum in the early 60s to achieve an open-air test ban. The radiation could be detected everywhere. Radiation detectors are extremely sensitive. We're bathed in radiation all the time, but the impact from these nuclear weapons tests increased measurably the amount of radiation around the world. Strontium, radioactive strontium from these air bursts was being detected in, in the baby teeth of children. Studies calculated that the risk of thyroid cancer for children who drink milk and young adults in the U.S. due to these radioactive releases increased thyroid cancer risk by 10%. So from a background of 400,000 cases, it increased by something like 40,000 cases uh, for children under 20. This being the most highly radioactive component of fallout from these airbursts of uranium and plutonium would have the largest health impact. Was exploding nuclear bombs in the atmosphere a civilization-ending risk that made continents uninhabitable? No. This was an irresponsible series of actions that had severe local health impacts for a limited time. And relatively mild health impacts over a larger area. What are the risks of nuclear weapons? They are significant and they still exist. The primitive nuclear bombs dropped on Japan in World War II by the U.S. had yields in the neighborhood of 20 kilotons each. Today, the major powers have significantly decreased their arsenals to something like on the order of 4,000 stockpiled nuclear weapons, each with a yield of roughly 100 kilotons to 1 megaton. So that's 5 times to 50 times more than the ones that were dropped on Japan. The largest bomb ever tested by the USSR exceeded 50 megatons. That's crazy huge. So these, these nuclear tests in the atmosphere, they're, they're like open-air dispersals of radionuclides, each one like its own Chernobyl, with no containment. What are the risks of nuclear war? What should we be worried about? Well, if you're not a, a child of the Cold War, you probably aren't aware uh, and so I want to help you out to understand what you should be afraid of. If you aren't incinerated in the initial blast or burnt in the fireball, maybe you live more than 10 kilometers from a, a targeted city, then you're one of the unlucky ones in the event of a nuclear war. If you're contaminated by radioactive fallout uh, from the blasts as it falls out of the sky in the stratosphere, over the first few days, this could cause burns and acute radiation sickness and even death. If you're lucky enough or unlucky enough to survive the first weeks of a nuclear war, then you're in for the real killer, nuclear winter. 
This was a, an effect that was discovered uh, from modeling the blasts of uh, nuclear weapons and comets and asteroids and is thought to be what killed the dinosaurs. Nuclear winter from a uh, the asteroid in the Yucatan, which wiped them out. So nuclear winter is because of all of the smoke and dust which is blown up into the stratosphere. The fine particulates stay up there for years. It takes them years to come out. They circulate. They bathe the globe in soot and block out the sun. And you have years without, without summer and you don't grow crops and all of the vegetation dies. And you all starve to death. This is the word nuclear writ large. This is what nuclear weapons are capable of inflicting on civilization. Were you also scared about fighting near Ukraine's nuclear reactors? When, when the Russian forces fired on Ukrainian forces uh, in a training building near the reactors? That's not surprising. There is a concerted effort going on by motivated parties to stoke fear over Russia's invasion and Ukraine's reactors. It seems easy to scare millennials who apparently were not aware of the existential threat of nuclear war until recently. Um, and sorry, I'm, I'm being facetious. Zaporizhia in Ukraine, the reactor that had um, some fighting around it, um, hosted a brief skirmish between Ukrainian and Russian forces. Headlines the next day. The Ukraine power plant uh, is risking a, a disaster, a nuclear disaster 10 times worse than Chernobyl, risking all of Europe, the end of, of civilization in Europe. People are calling for a no-fly zone over Ukraine to protect the reactors and save Europe. This is exaggeration. This is fear-mongering. My favorite um, analysis, of the, analysis of this situation was provided by uh, the Atomic Advocate on Twitter. And with permission, I'm going to quote his string of uh, tweets here. First of all, you cannot have a reactor detonate like a bomb. It's physically impossible. Your best hope would be to cause a meltdown of the main reactor and possibly a steam or hydrogen explosion. First and foremost, you cannot blow up, blow open a fissioning reactor core. There are passive safety systems now that will cause the reactor to scram within a second from the vibration of the first bomb. But hey, you can still cause a meltdown thanks to decay heat. This, as an aside, this is what happened in Fukushima. In order to do that, you need to bomb down all the systems powering the primary cooling circuit of the reactor, meaning you have to take, down, take the power plant off the grid. That's easy. Just bomb down some power lines, then turn off the emergency generators. Taking down the emergency generators is not impossible. You just need to bomb down the conventional part of the plant. If you know where the diesel generators and the battery packs are located, it can save you some time. Otherwise, you'll have to bomb it all down. Now, within a second from the first bomb landing, the, re the reactor will scram. But with no cooling, decay heat will eventually cause the fuel to melt down. 
However, passive heat removal systems still exist. In particular, natural convection and the expansion of the pressurizer will prevent the fuel from melting for several hours or even days, depending on the reactor. During this time, you have to prevent enemy forces reaching the plant and turn back online the cooling. Certain reactors, such as the AP-1000, have an additional passive cooling system that will have water fall from the roof and flood the room, removing heat for weeks. But let's, let's assume you chose a reactor without this feature. Finally, the fuel begins to melt, but you still have a major problem. The core is located under the containment dome, which is made of heavily reinforced concrete and will safely contain all the radiation inside. The dome is made to withstand an aircraft impact and or a bombing, so conventional warheads will not be enough to breach it. You'll need a nuclear bomb or several anti-bunker warheads. But hey, you're Russia, you can afford that. Now you finally spread radiation into the environment. Assuming you did your job well, now the target country will have to enact some relocation measure and distribute some iodine pills. Nuclear plants are located at least a couple miles from the nearest town and at least 20 miles from the next major city, so the evacuation measures will affect only a few thousand people, assuming we learned our lesson from the unnecessary evacuation in Fukushima. If you manage to disrupt the evacuation and avoid the distribution of iodine pills, congratulations, you made it. You successfully spent some hundreds of millions of dollars to cause a moderate increase of thyroid cancer incidents in about a decade. Given that thyroid cancer has a 99% survival rate, you may expect a jaw-dropping 10 to 15 deaths in 15 to 20 years from now. Aside, that is what was confirmed uh, from the Chernobyl uh, accident as um, a no a the only measurable increase in cancer uh, rates was the thyroid increase that caused about 15 deaths. You could have attained the same result by throwing a single warhead on a fucking city center, but hey, achievement unlocked. Time to party at the Kremlin. Can you see why this is not a great plan? Well, now I'm going to tell you why this is indeed the greatest move you can ever make in a war context totally worth the economic and military effort. Enter the Greens. Imagine that before the war even started, you had agents spreading misinformation about nuclear plants, telling everyone that they're basically pseudo-bombs, that they can blow up at any moment, spreading radiation that could threaten the life of the whole human species. Now, as soon as you start bombing the plant, the general population who was victim of this heinous propaganda for years starts to panic. Hundreds of thousands start fleeing the city, causing massive jams. An even higher number rush to the banks to withdraw all the cash they can. Soon banks run out of cash. People start demanding the evacuation of the biggest cities. When the government doesn't comply, they riot. Supermarket and shops get looted. People die in the riots. Millions try to flee the country, causing a massive humanitarian crisis. Now the amount of chaos is enough to basically win you the war by itself. And there are two more good news. First, you don't even need to really cause a nuclear meltdown to achieve this result if your agents did their job well enough. Second, you don't even need to pay any sleeper agents. They volunteer to do the job by themselves. Because they're fucking idiots. So yes, I'm going to say it once again. Whoever is saying that the presence of nuclear plants in a war zone is a threat for all Europe is actively working for Putin and should be arrested. So, that was a a succinct, hard-hitting analysis of the risk 
and how difficult it is to kill people by bombing a nuclear plant. It is much more effective, and we have the evidence, of killing people by bombing the people. It's much easier. Nuclear plants are not easy to disrupt. Now, I'm going to say that that is a bit of an exaggeration, that story. There are ways that radiation could be spread similar to the Chernobyl accident. Not the same. None of the plants in operation right now are um, have no containment. So that's the difference of, of all modern plants now have, have, a, have a heavy cement uh, containment shell. But there are ways that you could spread radiation around the countryside. People have talked about spent fuel cooling pools. These also contain a significant amount of radiation, uh, basically spent fuel bundles in a pool sitting cooling off after they've been used. Spent fuel is a heavy ceramic material that is neither explosive nor volatile and resists easy dispersal. Tests to date on shipping containers and dry storage containers have shown that while they can be penetrated under severe terrorists or accident scenarios, their construction allows little release of spent fuel with very little harm to human health. While release of a large quantity of radioactive material from a wet storage pool is theoretically possible, such a release would require an extremely unlikely chain of events. For example, coolant would have to be drained from the pools and the fuel would have to be left uncovered for a sustained period. The material would have to be relatively recently placed there to be hot enough to catch fire uh, for the uh, cladding, zirconium cladding to actually melt and, and flame. It's, you know, it's a metal. The fourth largest earthquake ever recorded did not accomplish this at any of Japan's nuclear reactors. You have to drain the pool. It's not easy. These things are, again, cased in concrete. So, returning to the original question, would this be 10 times worse than Chernobyl and a global catastrophe? No. Individual radiation releases, although they can be detected far away, are only dangerous over a relatively confined area. Anything like this would be several orders of magnitude less deadly than the risks we accept every day from fossil fuel burning, from smoking, from alcohol, from obesity. It's really hard to kill yourself with radiation. If a bomb could somehow cause a leak in a pool and eventually drain it and then cause the spent fuel to catch fire, that's the only scenario I can see where you'd have a significant radiation release. There are some reactors, not all, uh, probably the minority, where spent fuel pools are not as well protected as the reactor core. And these may be more susceptible to targeted disruptions. At Zaporizhia in Ukraine, the cooling pool is inside the primary containment building, so not a risk. Even if there's a significant radiological release, the impacts of this, though, can be managed without significant harm. Nobody outside the melted Chernobyl reactor died from acute radiation poisoning due to a powered reactor accident which blew the stuff into the sky. 
the worst that can happen is that you have a slightly increased chance of getting cancer in a decade or two. Yes, this would be catastrophic for those unlucky victims, but let's be realistic about this outcome. Fully 40% of us will get cancer sometime in our lives. Living in the current Chernobyl or Fukushima exclusion zones would not increase that number by a measurable amount. I want to go back to a past contributor to the podcast, Professor Philip Thomas, who has researched the impacts of radiological releases and nuclear accidents on lifespan. His conclusions, nuclear power is a lot less scary than many fear, even when it goes badly wrong. And even when you assume the linear no threshold uh, hypothesis for the health impacts of low radiation doses. Relocating large numbers of people, nearly one-third of a million after the Chernobyl accident, was a waste of resources. The average person gained an extra 21 days of life, but at a huge financial and social cost. If you were to balance the impacts of the evacuation to people's livelihoods and people's um, longevity... Really, only 17,000 people should have been evacuated from Chernobyl and would have been better off by being evacuated. This, this is what I mean by should have been evacuated. Would have had their health, their life expectancy shortened by remaining in place. The rest of that 300,000 were harmed more by evacuating than they would have been by staying at Pripyat. Let that sink in. This is huge. People don't know this. The restrictions out of fear of Chernobyl were significant and all across Europe. Restrictions on the consumption of British lamb imposed after Chernobyl cost hundreds of times too much. The overall life expectancy impact of this ban increased the average life in the UK by 30 seconds. The main radiological risks from a radioactive release from a bomb or a nuclear power plant that somehow releases radiation are associated with consuming radioactive compounds that accumulate in the body that have chemical characteristics similar to our tissues or our bones. These include iodine, which concentrates in the thyroid and causes increases in thyroid cancer, cesium and strontium, which accumulate in the bones. Iodine has a half-life of eight days. It's highly radioactive, but after a month, it's gone. It's no longer a risk. Cesium and strontium are maybe the more worrisome elements that can be um, devastating to a region. These things have half-lives on the order of 30 years. Just having a radioactive contaminant in your body, though, is not a death sentence. Remember, we live in a radioactive world. Potassium is a major component of our bodies. Our nerve cells use potassium to signal. We eat potassium in bananas. We, we, we take potassium supplements because it's critical to our livelihood. Potassium is partially radioactive, naturally. 
Every adult in the world has about 5,000 becquerels of radioactive potassium in their bodies all the time. This means that 5,000 atoms inside your body are undergoing radioactive decay every second. And splitting your DNA and uh, firing off gamma rays and, and radiation inside your body. You're radioactive. It's okay. We've evolved to live in this environment full of radiation. It's okay. Our bodies have evolved ways of dealing with this. They repair the DNA. They have very efficient ways of repairing the DNA. Oxygen that we breathe is a bigger impact on the creation of cancers and free radicals in our body. Sunlight is a bigger impact. Anyone who lives in the Canadian Shield uh, on the granite has radon in their basement from, from the uranium in the shield breaking down. And we're constantly inhaling this gas, this radioactive gas into our lungs. And it breaks down into lead and sits in your lungs emitting radiation in a long decay chain. There's no real evidence that low levels of radon are harmful. Our body deals with it. Tobacco is a huge source of radioactivity. The radon from the ground is actually trapped in the lower leaves of the tobacco plant, which get rolled up and, and put into cigarettes and cigars, and then inhaled by smokers. Smokers have extremely radioactive lungs from that. It's, it's like having, you know, 10 times the radioactive limit of radon in your basement. Many people may feel helpless in, in the face of radiation. What do you do if, if there's a radioactive release near you? Are you in danger of dying? The preferred strategy in response to a radio radiological release from a bomb, which is maybe the more likely uh, effect that could hurt you rather than a, a nuclear um, reactor, because let's face it, only two significant radioactive releases from operating reactors have ever occurred. The main strategy in response to a radiological release is to impose an immediate but temporary ban on local foods, milk especially. Um, the iodine, the radioactive iodine that only lasts for, you know, a couple weeks can be eaten by cows and it can get into their milk and cause thyroid cancer. So don't drink local milk for a little while, maybe a month. For a medium accident, there should be no relocation at all. Stay put in your house. Your house has shielding. It has walls. It protects you from the outside. Um, stay put. Remediation should happen. Sure. Try to get rid of the longer-lived isotopes that may have deposited in the topsoil. Studies show that the potential threat to the public is small, even after the worst possible nuclear accident. Most of the harm that that's come about as a result of nuclear accidents has come from unjustified fear and worry. And this is a holdover from the anti-nuclear weapons uh, protests that were successful in banning open air testing. But people were worried about the buildup of radiation from 500 Chernobyl-like nuclear bomb explosions in the atmosphere. And rightly so, that's probably not good to have 
500 intentional Chernobyls in Australia, in Nevada, in on Bikini Atoll, on the Marshall Islands, all around the world. These things happened. The world isn't wiped out. One should further note that calculations of long-term impacts of cancers, all of these calculations assume the low linear no-threshold hypothesis is correct and that extremely low levels of radiation will only have a negative health effect and no adaptive response that would improve your longevity like has been observed in the survivors of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs. So this is only the absolute worst case. So I hope I haven't frightened you to this point, but I'm hoping that I can give you the facts that you need to make an informed judgment. Knowing that nuclear accidents or targeted bombings could contaminate an area with radiation and potentially kill people, should this rule out nuclear energy as a power supply? First, you need to ask yourself, what level of risk is allowable? Is nuclear really so scary? Are there other power sources that could cause deaths? And is nuclear worse than these? What about Operation Chastise in World War II, where two German hydro dams were breached by uh, rotating bunker buster bombs? 1,600 people lost their lives in flooding from these dams being breached. Did you know that Zaporizhia in Ukraine has had a spectacular war disaster associated with its power systems? In 1941, Stalin's forces fleeing the Nazis blew up a hydroelectric, hydroelectric dam in the town to slow the Nazi advance. The resulting flood from that explosion killed between 20,000 and 100,000 civilians downstream on the Dnieper River. Think about that. Are nuclear power plants the thing that we should be worried about? The New York Times reported that the U.S. Special Forces in Syria bombed the huge Tabka Dam. And if that had succeeded in bursting the dam, it would have killed tens of thousands of civilians. Oh, many people would say, what about other safer ways of making energy? Many people would say solar panels and windmills. They don't hurt people. They're very safe. They just sit there. They don't blow up. They don't spread radioactivity in the atmosphere. They don't result in radioactive waste. Well, radioactive waste isn't the only type of waste out there. There's chemical waste that you need to use to build these things. Sure, no one's going to be killed if a single solar panel is destroyed. But how many solar panels do you need to build to create the same amount of energy as a single nuclear reactor? Renewable energy actually causes death just due to the vast amount of resources, mining, chemical manufacturing, and installation labor needed to capture such a diffuse energy source on the useful scales that we need for society. Did you know that cracked solar panels are classed as hazardous waste due to the heavy metals inside like lead and cadmium and many other permanently toxic metals? 
And yet society is not up in arms about the pending glut of hazardous waste from solar panels because it's something you can touch and deal with every day. But I digress. I want to show you the bigger picture and provide you with an understanding of the risks and the risks of not using nuclear outweigh the risks of using it by a significant fraction. Does nuclear energy pose an especially serious threat in a war zone? My thinking is that it is much more dangerous if the reactors were not there to maintain emergency power in a country under siege, where hospitals are being overwhelmed, where buildings are being destroyed, where food is scarce. The real threat is that misinformation about the risk is used as a lever that could lead to a single nuclear weapon being fired. This is the true civilization ending risk that we should be worried about. And I'm sorry that we're at this situation that we still have 4,000 nuclear weapons in the world. It's, it seems like, you know, when I was a child, there were 10,000 nuclear weapons and it could destroy everybody on the earth a hundred times over. It was just so freaking unbelievable the amount of destruction that we had at our fingertips. And we used nuclear weapons to actually burn up a significant fraction of the Soviet arsenal. We powered electricity and nuclear weapons burning up their warheads, their highly enriched warheads. And a lot of us felt safer because now there's you know less than half the amount of nuclear weapons there used to be. But that's, that's an illusory feeling. We're still at the point where a single madman or maybe a few can destroy civilization by pressing that button. And it's not, it's not a good place to be. And we need to do more. The threat isn't the power plants. You need to, ch you need to distinguish. You need to understand the huge gaping difference between power and weapons. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.